Let's pray together. God, today, just as Jim asked, that you would seal the word in our hearts. Prepare our minds for the hearing of your word. Holy Spirit, this, these words in this text are just words without your spirit solidifying them in our hearts. And so everyone here today needs you, God, to do something unique in their lives. And so our prayer is not that we would walk away and think that Pastor Dave is a great preacher or that he's a terrible preacher. God, our prayer is that uh, we would walk away equipped to live out the mission of the gospel. And so help us to do that today. Help me to accurately preach your words today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in this new series, uh, and I like the title, uh, Avoiding Stupid. I think that's a, that's a great title for a series. It's out of Proverbs. We're going to spend about a month and a half in this, and then from time to time, we'll come back uh, just over the next few years and, and hit different Proverbs at different times. But today is, uh, is the introductory message, which is also tied, t- titled Avoiding Stupid. And so uh, I thought it would be helpful to, to think about a, a few things that are maybe not the best ideas as we're talking about avoiding stupid. And so uh, I have a few pictures that maybe not be the best, that maybe they're not the best idea. And so uh, I, I need you to, to laugh even if you don't think it's funny, all right? Um, just preparing you in advance for this. And so uh, maybe some of these things are not the best idea. Uh, using permanent green dye to be the Hulk at a costume party. Probably not the best of ideas, right? <laughs> and uh, how, how about uh, letting your fired employee finish out the day at work? <laughs> Probably not the best idea. Uh, not pulling the proper building permit. You know, like checking all your things. Um, how about not splurging on a family vehicle? <laughs> Not the best of idea. Uh, letting your child play unsupervised. <laughs> that one just cracks me up every time I see it. Uh, can you even see? Yeah, you can see it. All right. Uh, th- this next one actually might be a good idea to revitalize our space program. And so they're taking a little cue from NASCAR here. Uh, can you s- <laughs> A little advertising. <laughs> All right. And the last one is uh, being overconfident in your boating skills. Yeah, like, probably not the best idea, uh, you know, talk about a way to ruin your boating experience. And, and so there are a lot of stupid people in this world. And <laughs> how can you and I avoid being one of those people? How can you and I avoid stupid? Because let's be honest, who wants to be stupid? I mean, there's no one who really goes, sets out and goes, you know, like if you ask a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know that a kid's ever said, I want to be stupid. When I grow up. Now, maybe just I want to be just like my dad, stupid. But, uh, you know, whoever says, I want to be stupid. No one wants to be stupid. And so the Bible is chocked full of advice on avoiding stupid. The Bible calls that wisdom. And that's what the book of Proverbs is about. And so today's message is the introductory message to this series. And we're going to look at uh, over the next maybe six weeks or so, some different Proverbs that, that will help us avoid stupid. But in this introduction, the first seven verses of Proverbs are intended to set forth the purpose of these Proverbs. And like any good parent, the author of Proverbs, the one who compiled these Proverbs together, like any good parent, 
He hopes that his children will pursue wisdom and discipline, and in such a way they will avoid stupid. And so just to help us think through these seven verses, I've come up with a number of just different questions to ask about the text, and I hope you'll be able to follow along with me as we talk through the first seven verses of Proverbs, which form the introduction to the book of Proverbs. The very first thing we read really is in in verse 1 of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, it's important for us to know when we look at the Proverbs that the Proverbs were not written. Solomon didn't sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write all the Proverbs. And so he didn't just start a book and write all these Proverbs and then give them to us. Solomon is the primary author, but these Proverbs were compiled from a number of different sources to get our book together like we have it today in this form. And so not all of these sayings belong to King Solomon. Um, There's a number of different people who wrote these. Sometimes it says the sayings of the wise. Sometimes it says the sayings of Solomon in different sections. There's a guy named Agur and a guy named Lemuel. And these guys wrote uh, some of these Proverbs too. And, And at some point they were all put together in this book, Proverbs. And so this is all about handing down wisdom. Now, what are the, what are the Proverbs about? This is what I want you to get today, okay? The Proverbs are about, the, the Proverbs are about a right knowledge in our relationship with God. So if you think vertically, the Proverbs are about our right relationship, right knowledge of God, and horizontally, right living with people. So they're about right knowledge with God, right living with people. The Proverbs are about, another way you could say it is about right relationship with God, and right relationship with people. Now, a proverb is a statement of truth of how things normally work. Kenneth Burke has described a proverb as a shorthand for situations in life that recur often enough that people feel the need to have a name for them. I mean, I kind of like that. Like, that's what a proverb is. It just occurs often enough. It's it's the kind of situation you can can say, I need a name for that because that happens. Now, it's important to realize when we look at the Proverbs, what a proverb is not. Because there's some important things that a proverb is not. First of all, a proverb is not a commandment. These are not additions to the Mosaic law. Proverb is not a commandment. Well, like take for instance, uh, not a scriptural proverb, but a proverb, you know, like that, uh, that I often say to my kids. The early bird gets the worm. You know, I'll say it to my kids. In other words, you know, it's summertime, don't sleep till noon. Right? And so I tell them the early bird gets the worm. And oftentimes I'll have to explain what I mean by that metaphor about the bird who gets out first gets the worms and gets fed for the day and it's good. What I, when I tell my children this proverb, this phrase, the early bird gets the worm, what I don't mean this to be is a commandment. I don't mean to say every day at 4 a.m. you're going to get up and get out of bed and go look for worms or you know, whatever. I don't, or you're going to get out of bed and you're going to go get things done because the early bird, you know, I'm not trying to, to say it's a commandment. I'm trying to give my kids advice on how they should live. I'm not commanding them. A proverb is not a command, but it's not also not a promise. These are not absolutisms. So when I tell my kids the early bird gets the worm, what I also don't mean is, I don't mean it's a promise. I don't mean to say, if you get up early, like really early in the morning, and you get your work done, 
you're going to be blessed and benefit and have all, I mean, because it may not happen, right? They may get up in the morning and, you know, totally get distracted and they may not have any benefit from getting up early at all. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. It's a say, general saying about how things work. And so Kenneth Burke's definition comes back to us. A proverb is a shorthand for situations in life that recur often enough that people feel the need to have a name for them. And, and this is, so when, when we start to understand the Proverbs this way, and this is really important, when we start to understand the Proverbs this way, it begins to explain things like one of the most perplexing Proverbs in, in, the, in the whole book to me, Proverbs 26.4. Here, put that first verse up there. Proverbs 26.4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him. Okay, that makes sense. So run into a fool. Sometimes it's best, you know, just to not say anything. Because you know you'll get drugged into that foolish. Okay, great. So if this is a command, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Got it. Except for the very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, wait a minute. Those two things just say opposite things. What's going on here? If this is a command or a promise, we have trouble with this. But when we understand there are situations in life where we shouldn't answer a fool. You just keep your mouth shut. But there are other situations in life where it's important to answer that fool according to his folly or he's just going to go on. And so there's situations for both. There are things that occur often enough that we feel like we need a name for them. And if we, an old seminary professor used to say, barking dogs never bite. Most of the time. And I, like, I think that aptly describes what's going on in Proverbs. That professor meant to teach that the Proverbs describe the way life usually works, not how it always works or how it must work. The Proverbs are statements about right relationship with God, right knowledge of God, right relationship with people, right living with people. And in Proverbs chapter 1, we're given two words to describe those kind of things. The first word is wisdom. Wisdom describes this. It describes this vertical relationship, this vertical knowledge of God and his teachings. And then the second word is discipline. Discipline describes this horizontal relationship with people, how we live together. And these two words, wisdom and discipline, are the two reasons that the Proverbs are written. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1. The Proverbs were written for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. There those two are. Proverbs are written for attaining wisdom and discipline. Right knowledge of God, right relationship with people. Well, first of all, we need to understand what is wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, it's important to understand that, that wisdom, first of all, is not merely intelligence. There's a lot of people in this world who are really intelligent, but not very wise. Uh, you know, uh, some politicians come to mind for me, like, uh, you know, Bill Clinton. I mean, here's a guy, a Rhodes Scholar, an incredibly intelligent person who made some incredibly stupid decisions when it came to his character. Lest you think I'm picking on one side of the aisle, let me flip to the other side of the aisle. We got a guy like Richard Nixon, right? Richard Nixon. Very similar, incredibly intelligent, but he thought he could get away with lying directly to the American people. He was intelligent, but he wasn't wise. Wisdom is so much more than just intelligence. Now, 
some people would say, well, wisdom is common sense. Wisdom is common sense. That's what wisdom is. And so someone might say, I'm, I, you know, I'm not book smart, but that, uh, that's okay. I'm, I have common sense. Some people would say, you know, I have the, enough wisdom to know that you shouldn't stick a hornet's nest in your pants. And that's a good thing. And so that's common sense. And the problem with that is that's not wisdom because that's, it's the word common sense. It's common to, mo- to most, right? It's common to most. Wisdom is a skill. It's born out of knowledge. The same word, that, that wisdom, it, the same root word is used for the craftsman who created the tabernacle in the Old Testament. They had a specific skill that they used, whether it was to, to put the, the uh, special drapings and, or the poles or to design. I mean, they all had a skill. And that's that same root word there. It's that word of wisdom. So it's a skill. Wisdom is a skill acquired from knowing God and knowing his word. So let me be very clear. There is no wisdom without this. There is no wisdom without God's word. Because you can't acquire a skill of God's knowledge without reading God's words, without knowing his words. There is no wisdom without this. That's what wisdom is. Well, then let's, okay, so wisdom. Let's look, ask the next question. What is discipline? What is discipline? Well, first of all, let's say that what discipline is not. Discipline is not self-control. It's not what we think of discipline, like a person who, you know, is really disciplined in their diet or in their exercise or a person who's really disciplined at work or so it's not fasting or Bible reading or prayer. It's not any of that stuff. It's not that I'm self-disciplined. That's not what, what it is. This word in the text is correction. It's correction. Just as I discipline my children, so the Proverbs are for disciplining us. The knowledge of God brings wisdom. The discipline of God is the crucible through which we find wisdom to be true. If wisdom is from God, discipline is the practice of wisdom amongst God's people. And please don't miss that. Just as there can be no wisdom without God's word, so there can be no discipline without the practice of God's wisdom amongst God's people. And so the Proverbs are just this. They are a statement of right knowledge with God and right relationship, right living with people. Now, what are the results? If we live out wisdom and discipline, what are the results of wisdom and discipline? The results of wisdom and discipline in this introduction to Proverbs, it's fitting that the author tells us these. Look at verse 3. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, Doing what is right and just and fair. The teachings of Proverbs, this wisdom and discipline, result in changed behavior. So right living, this is the the word righteous, right in the eyes of God. It's right living. And justice, it's about helping the helpless get what is right. It's helping those who can't get what is right for themselves. And fair, it's not taking advantage of someone. This is the result. So do you see the result? Wisdom is a right knowledge of God, but it it works itself out in the way we relate to people. We live rightly, justly, and fairly. Wisdom without action is not wisdom at all. Wisdom without discipline. 
Wisdom through discipline affects the way we live. So I came up with, uh, as I put all that together, I, I just came up with this statement about the purpose of Proverbs. The purpose of Proverbs is to encourage, and I forgot to put it in this. Oh, no, it is there. Awesome. Where did that come from? She's good. Wow, that's impressive. She read my mind. To encourage intentional acquisition of God's wisdom, refined over time through the disciplined practice amongst God's people leading to holistic living. That's a huge mouthful. But basically, it's, it's, I'm trying to communicate there that it's intentionally going after God's wisdom. And then that wisdom is refined over time through the crucible of life in the way we live out this wisdom in God's people. And it leads to this holistic life, not fragmented. My wife, uh, many of you know, is a, a doula, which is basically a, a birth coach. And she's just amazing at what she does. And she, she's with pregnant moms when they're delivering. And, and, uh, and one of the reasons Clarissa is so good at her job is because of wisdom and discipline. Uh, my wisdom, like my wife studied the practice of being a doula a lot. I mean, she has been certified. It took a ton of effort. She's constantly reading articles that I just think are awful and terrible, but she loves this stuff and she's just kind of like soaking this stuff in and she's got a ton of knowledge. But the practice of being disciplined, one of the reasons she's good at this is because she's been pregnant a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I figure out how that happens. I mean, it's just a lot. And so, you know, it, so she's got ex a lot of experience. And then she's been with a lot of women who are ha having babies. She's coached a ton of women. And both these things make her really good at being a doula. I mean, imagine that she had a lot of book knowledge and she had studied a lot, but never had the experience of being pregnant. And she'd go in and, and, and it just wouldn't come together. Or imagine that she had been pregnant a lot but had no idea what she was doing at all. And so she didn't have any wisdom in the subject. And the people would be like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You're as bad as my husband. Please leave. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, so she, what makes her really good at what she does is both these aspects. And it's very similar with the Proverbs. What, what Solomon and, and the people who compiled these Proverbs together are trying to communicate is to, to their children specifically is here's what you need. You need to know God and God's word and be wise this way. But then this has a practical application. You need to be wise in the way you live, disciplined in the way you live, through the crucible of time, corrected in such a way that it can have an impact on other people. That's the purpose of Proverbs. Now, we, we run into the next section, which, which is describes somebody who doesn't, take seriously this command to be wise and disciplined. The Bible has a word for that. It's not a nice word. The word was found in, in, in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The Bible calls this person a fool. A fool. The fool rejects wisdom and discipline. And I would surmise that there are a number of ways that a fool can reject wisdom and discipline. The first way is they can reject both wisdom. The fool can reject both wisdom and discipline. Like totally, uh, just boom, rejected. The fool thinks he already knows everything. So why would he need discipline and wisdom? 
You ever meet someone who knows everything already? Like, I, I run into people like this. I run into people like this all the time. A friend of mine was telling me that, uh, he says, uh, I, I had an opportunity, he said, to, to train someone at work, a new guy. He's 23 years old or something like that. And, and he came in, and I was supposed to train him. And, and my friend said to me, but I, I need to tell you something. Apparently, I don't have to train him because he already knows everything. You ever try to work with someone like that? Someone who just already knows everything. Fools already know everything. They reject wisdom and discipline. Another friend of mine was saying, the person who knows everything, what you do is you say, okay, well, since you know everything already, can you just tell me something you don't know? And we'll start with that. Pride says, I don't want to look like I don't know something. But your pride betrays you. It shows you for the fool you are. So the fool rejects wisdom and discipline because the fool already knows everything. But the fool also can reject one or the other. Sometimes the fool rejects wisdom or discipline. Let's first of all look at the fool who rejects God's wisdom. The fool rejects God's wisdom. The fool thinks he can be wise without God. The fool thinks that he can apply Proverbs, the Proverbs this way in relationship without really understanding wisdom. The fool thinks he can do one. Anyone could quote from the book of Proverbs. I like to pick on Oprah a lot. Oprah loves these kind of things. She loves to dig into Proverbs and find a little verse that works for her and take that out and apply it. But she's not wise. She doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. She's got nothing. So she just applies it this way. Politicians also love to quote the Bible, don't they? I mean, you'll hear, you know, politicians all the time quote the Bible and you go, that person has no idea. They're trying to apply the truths of living this way without really understanding this wisdom that comes from God. And this is fortune cookie Proverbs. I mean, you might as well just read a fortune cookie. And so, like Proverbs 17.22 is a great example. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Well, the godless application of this would be, you know, oh, that's exactly right. The reason that you're sick is because you're just depressed all the time. So you just need to, to uh, you know, cheer up and being more cheery will help you as, you know, as you go through life and it'll make you more healthy. And so just be cheerier. I, I saw a, a spoof video this week called uh, Ask Your Doctor About Just Go Outside. Like, just go outside and everything will be better. I mean, that's kind of the application of Proverbs. It's this application of if you don't have God, you just try to make these nice little fortune cookie things. And friends, this is why we need Jesus. Because there's no way to truly live out the Proverbs without him. There's no way to truly understand the wisdom of God without Jesus. So that we can apply it amongst ourselves, amongst the body, amongst other people. The gospel says that Jesus died for our sins in your place. And wisdom starts with understanding our position. Wisdom starts with understanding who we are. If you don't understand your helpless place before God, you can never be wise. If you don't start with understanding 
that you are in a place before this almighty, perfectly holy God where nothing you can do, nothing you can do before God is good enough for a perfect God. You can't even come close. And if you don't start there, you can never be wise. You can never understand because without Jesus, we've got nothing. Jesus came in our place. He died for our sins because he was the only one who could be righteous. He was the only one. So wisdom without Jesus is non-existent. It doesn't happen. Avoiding stupid starts with embracing Jesus. And then it moves to soaking up all the wisdom of God found in his word. I mean, this world, we live in a world, friends, that loves in its worldly wisdom to embrace the truth that whatever way you want to seek to God is good for you and true for you, and that's fine for me. And that's the world we live in. But Proverbs says, no, that's foolish. That's no wisdom from God. So it starts with embracing Jesus, and it moves to soaking up all the wisdom found in God and his word. Don't think you can gain the wisdom of God without Jesus and the word. The fool rejects God's wisdom and thinks that he can just apply this scripture or these Proverbs to relationships without first understanding God. But there's another type of fool. There's another type of fool that, that thinks that he can reject God's people. He can reject that discipline aspect. If fool number two tries to reject God's wisdom, fool number three tries to reject God's people. Too many people try to acquire wisdom without the crucible of discipline that comes in the practice of wisdom with God's people. There are those that would try to learn about God in isolation from people. Think about that. You know, sometimes people are a lot, and that's tempting to just be totally isolated. There was a whole group of monks that tried this, completely isolate themselves from people. That's trying to do this, wisdom from God, without this practical discipline of wisdom. But they fail to understand that this horizontal relationship with people is the crucible through which this works itself out. You need both. The point of wisdom is for God's glory. It's for the good of God's people. If you don't give yourself completely to God's people, what's the point of this? Wisdom without application of it amongst God's people is pointless. And those who think the assembly of God's people aren't, isn't important, those who think that are walking headlong into stupid. Those of, of who try to reject God's people and just focus on just me and God, me and God, me and God, and they forget about the application of discipline, the crucible through which this wisdom works itself out, those who try to reject that are fools. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's summertime, right? And so it's easy for, you know, to think, well, you know, it's summer. I'm just going to take the summer off from the gathering of God's people. And so, uh, it, you know, I get it. Listen, uh, I, I was lamenting the other day about how hard it is to get people to serve in summer, to own ministries in the summer. Because part of the thing is, is that I serve a church that's in a pretty upwardly mobile community and our people have the ability, you have the ability to leave on vacation and go places. And, you know, some of you are gone 15 out of 13 weeks this summer, you know, and you're going, wow, because you can. And so, uh, you know, and, and awesome. I mean, that's great because that's amazing and, and go do it, enjoy. But, you know, if you take 
an entire summer off from gathering with God's people, you're a fool. Because this works itself out this way. And, and I don't just, I'm not talking about the spiritual gift of attendance that Jeff talked about last week, right? Like there is no spiritual gift of attendance. Just sitting in a chair and being somewhere, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living in community with God's people. And so even if, I mean, don't take the summer off from your life group. Don't take the summer off from God's people because you need this to work itself out this way. Some of you would attend a lot of church functions and you'd gain a lot of knowledge about God, but you've never used your spiritual gift. That's rejecting God's people and rejecting God's work. If you're not part of God's kingdom breaking through into this world, you are heading headlong into stupid. So do you want to avoid stupid? That's what the next five weeks is about. How do we specifically avoid stupid? What does the application of wisdom in the community of believers look like? So you want to avoid stupid? The Proverbs are a way to do that. They want you to pursue wisdom and discipline. I'll close with an example that came up in message community that I think is a fitting example of this. On July 9th, 1974, Chuck Colson spent his first night in a federal prison. He was the first member of Richard Nixon regime to do time in prison. Now, uh, if you don't know who Chuck Colson was, Chuck Colson was pretty widely known uh, in the 70s as the guy in Richard Nixon's group of circle of people who was empowered to do Richard Nixon's dirty work. And so Colson was the guy who leaked confidential FBI files on people he didn't like. Um, he obstructed justice. He'd planned to destroy liberal institutions that he despised. In the world's eyes, Chuck Colson was powerful, influential, and wise. But all of that came crashing down. And so he was indicted and he was sent to prison. And just before he went to prison, Chuck Colson got on his knees, a broken man. And he repented of his sin. And he trusted Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Chuck Colson found Jesus. He found forgiveness. And his trek towards true wisdom began. Now there were a lot of naysayers, a lot of people that thought, oh, that's convenient, right? Finds Jesus right before he goes to jail. So there were a lot of very skeptical people about his life. But Chuck Colson started this, this journey of a wisdom with God through Jesus and God's word. But it didn't stop there. Chuck Colson's life then became lived out for the community of God's people. He, he sought to live out that wisdom. He did it. Colson committed his life to helping those in prison. He wanted them to know this Jesus. And he knew the hard life of those in prison. He had lived it and he wanted to help them. A, a recent Wall Street Journal article said this. Where criminal justice was concerned, Colson was God's good man, not Nixon's bad man. Colson gave his life most of his adult life and almost all of his money, including royalties on about two dozen books, speaker's fee, and the $1 million Templeton Prize for spiritual endeavors that he won in 1993. While maintaining his Breakpoint radio show, Colson worked 
endless hours raising tens of millions of dollars a year that supported this ministry's operation. In 2000 alone, Colson's Prison Fellowship mobilized more than 10,000 volunteers to work in 1,329 prisons from coast to coast and also mustered nearly 15,000 volunteers each year to purchase Christmas gifts for more than 350,000 children of prisoners. Recognizing that about 700,000 prisoners are released each year, the Colson Ministry created eight Interchange Freedom Initiative prison reentry programs across five states and found jobs for about 60% of all IFI parolees. Chuck Colson died in April, and he was a changed man. And he used his second life as a second chance to bring glory to God. He didn't avoid stupid the first time, but he did avoid stupid the second time. So how about you? Are you pursuing wisdom so that you can pursue discipline? So that you can pursue discipline and change, see God work through you. Sorry, <laughs> just keeping you awake. See God work through you. Are you pursuing wisdom and discipline? Thomas is going to come up and, and pray to close the sermon today and our ushers are going to come forward at this time and for collecting the morning offering. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you as we worship after this, as we take communion, as we do all these things, allow the Holy Spirit to be asking you, are you wise? Are you wise? Are you disciplined? Only through Jesus. Would you close this, Thomas?